0: Hello, I'm Emma Webb, Senior Project Manager of Education for the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Thanks for downloading this episode of the ACCP podcast. On today's episode, John McClue, ACCP's Director of Government Affairs, and I discussed the ACCP Medicare Initiative, what it is, and what the goals are for the initiative. Additionally, we talked about the 2016 election and the Cures Act, and more specifically, what their potential effect will be on healthcare and our the ACCP Medicare Initiative. And now for the show. Um, welcome, John.
1: Well, hello there, Emma, and thank you very much for, for putting this um, webinar together. It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, I'm, as Emma said, I'm John McGlue, the Director for Government Affairs here in ACCP's Washington office. I've been with the college for um, just over 10 years now. It's been a a, a great run and it's a pleasure to represent the profession here uh, in Washington, D.C. I do our um, federal lobbying, some regulatory work, Um, I run our grassroots program and I run our PAC and um, try and just contribute everything I can to the uh, advancing the advocacy initiative for the college.
0: Well, I think the first question that I have is I think um, most people um, we're a little bit surprised about the um, election results that we've just had. And in previous election cycles, we had all this discussion about um, healthcare reform. Um, but this election cycle, it seemed like there wasn't that much discussion about. Um, re- revising and replacing um, the Affordable Care Act or a lot of other health care discussion that seemed to be more focused on national security, um, immigration and the economy. So, especially given the results of the election, what do you think this tells us about in terms of health care as a priority in Washington?
1: Well, uh, firstly, I, I just um, comment and, uh, you know, this is kind of tongue in cheek here, but there's a certain irony to asking somebody who lives and works um, in Washington, D.C. Uh, to comment on this, because really we were the people who got it completely wrong. And, um, you know, I, I think I think there was a, a, a much better sense across the country of the momentum behind uh, Mr. Trump, President-elect Trump, and that was completely missed within the beltway. And, and most um you know, pundits and, and and pollsters and so forth um, really just got the whole thing wrong. So I'll, I'll kind of um, caveat my response with that. But um, I, I, as as you said, you know, unlike in in 2008, for instance, healthcare uh, wasn't a major issue on on the campaign trail. Um, we, we We saw the uh, obviously looking back to Obama's uh, presidency, um his the, the Affordable Care Act um, is considered his major legislative achievement. Um, and really all all that uh, president-elect Trump was um, proposing was to repeal and replace um the Affordable Care Act. Um, that looks almost inevitable at this stage um with with um, Mr. Trump in the White House and the Republicans uh, controlling both the House and the Senate. Um, Senate Majority Leader McConnell has indicated that the repeal will be the first order of business um, when the new Congress convenes and and, and obviously when the president's inaugurated. So uh, Mr. Obama won't be able to uh, veto it. And and they're looking to use a budget reconciliation process that isn't subject to filibuster rules, uh, basically to strip out all all of the, the, the guts of the Affordable Care Act. And basically um, re- render it um, render it obsolete. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, as I say, you know, I'm, I'm cautious about predicting anything um, this cycle, but um, that that looks like a fairly safe bet. Um, what we what remains to be seen is um, what the replace portion of that looks like. And there is some speculation. Um, for instance, um, um, Speaker Ryan has um, you know for a number of years proposed are, are you know, some major, uh, significant Medicare reforms uh, that would essentially um, take uh, the federal government out of the Medicare program as much as possible, and um, either either hand it over as a voucher program to individuals to be able to purchase health insurance, or then hand over control of the Medicare program uh, largely to the states to administer at the state level, kind of like we see with Medicaid. So that's that's kind of what the, some of the speculation is um, for, for the First couple of months of the uh, the new administration and the new Congress.
0: I I, I find it funny that um, you know there wasn't this there wasn't very much discussion in during the election cycle about healthcare and now um, potentially we could see the biggest change in healthcare that we've seen in a generation when it comes to obviously the repeal and replace of the Affordable Care Act, but. Um, also talking about block grants for Medicaid, um, premium support for Medicare. So be an interesting interesting few months um, coming up.
1: So what do you... I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but it is a very good point that there are a number of provisions, you know, despite the uh, political controversy around the Affordable Care Act and particularly the individual mandate required um, everyone to have health insurance and some of the pressures there on employers with the employer mandate and so forth that was perhaps speculated to have um, caused problems for small businesses, large businesses, um, and, and affected job growth and so forth. There are a number of provisions there that are very popular. And so you know, it will be interesting to see what they decide to keep and what did they decide to discard and how they manage to um, balance all of that while getting rid of the individual mandate. Because if you remember, the individual mandate was put in place essentially as a trade-off. So the insurance companies were required to... Um, you know provide uh, insurance um despite pre-existing conditions and there was limits on rating that they could um premium rating that they could um that they could impose on on individuals based on um their personal health um, the, the the trade-off was that all all uh, americans were required to have health insurance so um it'll be interesting to see how they make that work economically because obviously if you don't require um people to have health insurance it, you know the ill it's going to uh, be more of the, the sicker, more expensive uh, citizens who, who have coverage, and those who are healthy, younger, and so forth, will forego coverage, and, you know, it'll be, just be interesting to see how they make that work.
0: It will definitely be be interesting. So, I know that Um, or at least based on some of the conversations that I've had with you and with other um, ACCP staff members, that there were some things in the Affordable Care Act that directly impacted our members. So what does a repeal of that act um, mean for our for ACCP members?
1: Well, again, you know, it's it it really does. It it really remains to be seen. I mean, there's a a lot of um, what affects our members under the Affordable Care Act. Um, occurs under CMMI, the Centre for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, where there were a number of pilots and different programmes going on, where they were um, testing and rolling out different um, approaches to team-based care, um, interdisciplinary care, and um, patient-centred medical home type models. And so, again, it remains to be seen what will happen to CMMI. Um, because, again, while um, you know that, that was a controversial um, undertaking, a lot of those programmes are aimed at modernizing Medicare and bringing it up, you know, moving away from this fee-for-service model that most people agree is unsustainable and moving more towards a um, a, a, a more um, uh, results outcome-based approach to payment and delivery uh, where where, um, providers are rewarded for for getting patients um, to their clinical goals rather than simply uh, being paid on a volume basis. So, um, you know, again, while there's a lot of controversy around CMMI, uh, there's also a lot of really important things for the modernization of the Medicare program and bringing it into the 21st century and making it financially sustainable going forward. So, you know, whether those programs continue to exist under something like CMMI or whether they're discarded altogether remains to be seen. But um, it's it's that type of program that's, uh, that's really affecting our members, I believe.
0: Okay. Well, before we um, move on to talk about more specifics about the ACCP Medicare initiative, um, I just wanted to ask you, um, a couple days ago, um, Congress pressed the 21st Century Cures Act, um, and it was actually passed with massive bipartisan support, which... um, doesn't seem like a very typical thing um, these days so I know that some of the key provisions include funding more high risk high reward research um, helping potentially accelerate the FDA approval process so I was wondering kind of what your thoughts were about this particular piece of legislation and how it might tie into um, things that may impact our members specifically
1: well I mean firstly I'd say with the with the 21st century cures um, the I, th- I believe the most important aspect is the fact that, as you mentioned, um, Congress were able to come together in, you know, un- under quite trying circumstances and overwhelmingly pass a bipartisan piece of legislation um, related to healthcare. And I think that really it, it does um, it, it does indicate some encouragement for the new Congress um, that when when you when you're talking about some of these really important issues affecting patients. Congress are willing to put aside their differences and actually legislate and do their job, and I think that's very encouraging. Um, specifically, um, you know, we, you see, you see, I think about five billion in new funding for the National Institutes of Health, that's the, the NIH, and particularly um, that includes um, almost two billion, I believe, for the what they're referring to as the cancer moonshot, that's led by um, by Vice President Biden um, to kind of accelerate uh, research. Um, into um, ultimately, you know, ending ending the the the, uh, the burden of cancer and, and and its its terrible impact on on um, families across the country. Um, there's also some, um, I think, over a billion, a billion and a half, maybe uh, earmarked to fight brain diseases, including Alzheimer's. And you know, that's that's an issue that's um, often often flies under the radar. But you know, with the um, retire, with the aging boomer generation. And um, that's going to be a bigger and bigger burden on our um, health infrastructure. And so, again, the fact that they were able to earmark some money to um, really try and address uh, Alzheimer's as, as an issue, as, as a disease, is, is really important. Um, and then there's um, some, uh, as you mentioned, um, money earmarked for the Food and Drug Administration to improve their approval process and um, kind of expedite. How they get drugs um, from um, trial to to market, and um, there's also a billion in funding to help uh, states fight um, opioid abuse, and that's obviously a huge huge issue right across the country and is uh, very well publicised. And so they were actually able to come up with some funding to to really try and address that really really crucial issue. Um, I'd also mentioned, th- and this hasn't been um, focused on quite so quite quite so carefully, but um, the, the um, 21st Century Cures Act also served as a vehicle for um, a piece of mental health legislation. I think it's, it's referred to as Helping Families and Mental Health Crisis Act. That's um, that's uh, designed to ensure a more science-driven and evidence-based approach to the care of individuals with uh, mental illness and substance abuse disorders, and particularly addressing the um, the shortage uh, of psychiatrists and other mental health practitioners, okay. and kind of try and um, make sure that we have a new generation of people um, prepared to to uh, support and help patients with their uh, mental health and substance abuse issues. And I think that is, is I think that's uh, very important when when you're talking about this money set aside for um, the the op- opioid addiction, because he, here we have here here we're funding kind of um, the, the, the addiction itself with this uh, with this billion dollars that they've earmarked. But um, they've also set aside some money to actually prevent that from happening. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's important to balance both the, the treatment with the prevention side, because it's obviously a lot easier to um, to help people, you know, early on in their addiction or, or to prevent them getting addicted in, in, in the first place rather than you know the very expensive process of, of, of dealing with, with people with, with chronic addiction. So I, I think that's very encouraging that they included that mental health piece um, you know side by side with the, with the opioid addiction funding.. Um, I would say that um, you know even though the, the bill was passed overwhelmingly by the Senate, I think it was um, 95 to4 I think was the, was the final tally. Um, there were some concerns um, from some, some um, from the kind of left wing of the the left side of the um, Democratic Party um, that, that questioned whether these changes to the FDA would um, kind of move away from the traditional uh, randomized clinical trial process and um, it, uh, introduce other uh, other methods to bring um, drugs to market, including patient data collected from medical records or insurance claims, which is you know from a scientific point of view probably a less robust way of of, of testing medications so it, it did come under criticism on 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 that level and there's also some some concern about about the funding um for the overall legislation it um, s- some of the funding did come from um, the Prevention Fund, which was authorized under the Affordable Care Act, which, as, as I meant, kind of alluded to earlier, is um, is designed to um, keep people healthy in the first place. And it's kind of a big fund that was created under the Affordable Care Act that Congress um, keeps dipping into to um, pay for kind of some of the short-term um, um, funding issues that they have around health care. But it, it does call into question uh, the logic of paying for um, you know costly chronic care treatment when you could um, probably get more value for money by focusing on the prevention side and keeping people healthy in the first place. So there were some questions about that, but the fact is that this this bipartisan piece of legislation moved forward, it has the support of President Obama, who most people expect him to sign it in the next couple of days. And I think it's, it's quite an encouraging conclusion to the 114th Congress, and hopefully we continue some of that productivity in the 115th Congress when that gets sworn in in January.
0: Well and obviously I'm thinking that um, if the FDA approval process um, is changed a little bit either through how drugs are approved that having a clinical pharmacist um, in a practice is going to be even more critical um, than it already is um, if there are a lot more drugs that get approved and the process of how they get approved um, changes. So definitely um, an interesting, interesting time. So I think that's probably a decent segue um, into talking more a little bit more about our Medicare initiative. So I know in 2012, ACCP launched our Medicare initiative. For the people who are listening at home and who are perhaps not as familiar with our initiative, could you provide kind of a brief overview of what that is, what the goals are, what we're hoping to achieve with that initiative?
1: Well, absolutely. And this is ACCP's uh, primary um, advocacy priority and has been for the past four years or so. Um, essentially, what we're trying to do in, in, in very, very simple terms is uh, establish Medicare coverage for comprehensive medication management services delivered by qualified clinical pharmacists. Um, specifically, what we, what we would go and do is um, amend section 1861 of the Social Security Act to establish coverage, to establish uh, CMM as a covered medical benefit delivered by qualified clinical pharmacists. Um, our definition of the qualified clinical pharmacist is that they're board eligible. Um, so they wouldn't necessarily have to be board certified, although that would obviously be our, our preference. But recognizing that not all areas of practice have a BPS um, certification, we felt it was important to to, to allow all practitioners to um, to participate. So we, we, we made the requirement that they'd be board eligible, which essentially means you've, practice for, you know, uh, around two years in, in your specific area of practice. Um, secondly, and secondly, and I think almost as importantly, or perhaps more importantly, um, the services would have to be um, delivered under a collaborative practice agreement or under uh, privileges um, granted by the institution in which the clinical pharmacist practices. And we really think, I mean, everything that we're seeing in terms of healthcare reform, Medicare reform, payment reform, is all about um, moving away from fee-for-service and moving into a more team-based approach to care. And while we, we recognize that collaborative practice agreements across all 50 states are far from perfect, and there's a lot of variation from state to state, we felt that was the key uh, or, or the best um, best approach, the best uh, regulatory structure to ensure that care truly is delivered in a, in a team-based manner. And it's not just about um, pharmacist billing independently, but it's about working collaboratively um, with physicians and other members of the team, and getting paid for that care through through collaborative practice agreements and team-based care. Um, we, we, our, our definition of um, of CMM is, um, is is consistent with the standards of practice that we publish, and is also uh, consistent with the definition included in the Patient-Centred Primary Care Collaborative, which is the multi-stakeholder coalition that's really advancing the Patient-Centred Medical Home Model. ACCP has been uh, an active um, participant in the PCPCC, that's Patient-Centred Primary Care Collaborative, since its its inception. And um, we we, we contributed um, significantly to the production of a resource guide that um, that, that um, provides a toolkit um, as to how to actually implement a CMM practice as part of a, a patient-centered medical home. So we, we think that's a, a really important um, factor because it, it means it's not just ACCP talking about CMM, but it's, it's consistent with a, a much broader approach to um, health delivery and payment reform that, w- that we're seeing through the medical home model. So I'll, I'll come, kind of pause there and, and see if, if, if you had any, any questions or follow-up there, Emma.
0: Well, one of the questions that I do have is I know that some of the other pharmacy organizations are really advocating for provider status. And so I was wondering how ACCP's approach um, different. It differs from those other organizations um, and why ACCP has chosen not necessarily to partner with those organizations it does sound based on um, the overview you just provided that maybe because we're more focused on the health outcomes that um, and that we understand that the system is moving further away from a fee-for- service um, model that maybe that isn't the best approach but I don't really know. So (laughs) I'm hoping that maybe you could provide some clarification about why we're not um, joining in with the other pharmacy associations on in that regard.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, it's it's a very good question and and one that we get all the time. And, and, you know, we're we we think it's really important that we explain to our members exactly why we're in this position. And as you mentioned, we're not part of the the, the provider status coalition that many of the other professional pharmacy organizations are involved in. And um, we, we fundamentally believe that this—that um, we should focus not on the provider, um, but on the on the service service that's being delivered. ACCP is, is, is truly dedicated to patient care, and we believe that what we're trying to do and what we should be trying to do is establish coverage for a serve for a patient care service, not simply add pharmacists to the list of eligible providers. Um, we, we believe, I mean, we, we think this is important uh, from a, a political uh, tactics point of view, because even the, even, even the phrase provider status sounds kind of self-serving. It's about getting status for a provider rather than establishing coverage for a service. But we also think that provider status really doesn't get to the core of the issue. Um, just because you're listed as a provider, it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna get paid for your services. And, um, you know, we saw that out in California where a couple of years ago, they passed a bill that, that established or that or the, the, um, the, the uh, recognized um, pharmacists as providers under state statute, but uh, there was no mechanism for them to get paid. And so really just being listed as, as providers isn't really about it doesn't really get to the core of of making sure that um, the service is covered. Um, I, I, and as, as, as an example, um and it's it's kind of interesting to note, but dentists are actually listed as providers under Section 1861 of the Social Security Act. They come under the the definition of of, of qualified Medicare providers, yet dental services aren't listed, aren't covered by Medicare. And so nothing a dentist is legally authorized to do, they can actually get paid for by the Medicare program. And I I think that's arguably the best way I have to um, illustrate the difference between simply provider status and um, coverage for a service. And, and I, so, was,
0: I was, I was thought my in my ignorance, I was thought well, if you get designated as a provider, then that means that then you get reimbursed for your services. And obviously, it sounds like with in the case of dentists and out in California, that that really isn't the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you really have to um, define what what it is that the 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 provider is going to do what what service they're going to they're going to deliver. And, you know, for the instance, in, in, in the case of chiropractors, for instance, um they're listed as providers, but it's it's a very, very specific defined service that they're allowed to get reimbursed for by Medicare. They're not sim- simply by being on the list. It doesn't mean you're going to get paid by Medicare. You have to define what service you're going to deliver. And we believe that CMM truly is a, a the, it, it does uh, encompass the value that clinical pharmacists bring to the team and and bring to the Medicare program. And we think that by focusing on what, what we've referred to as the what, as in CMM, the service, rather than the who, as in the clinical pharmacist, we believe that's really strategically the best way forward and the best way to achieve that. I'd also mention um, that with the Provider Status Coalition, their um, their legislation, which, you know, they were very successful in collecting um, um, Co-sponsors for and, and generating some enthusiasm for on Capitol Hill, but it's it's limited to patients who live in medically underserved areas, and we don't believe that limiting um, C- access to CMM only to those patients who live in medically served under uh, areas is really the, is, is is really the way forward. We believe that um, it should be based on medical necessity, and there are many chronically ill, complex Medicare patients who could benefit from this service. Who don't qualify as, as medically underserved yet could really use uh, access to to CMM services. So we didn't want to limit the uh, patient population uh, simply to those in medically underserved areas, but rather make it open to the entire uh, Medicare population based on medical necessity. And now, I, I'm just going to I, I say, having said all that, I do want to clarify that we don't see us in any way as being in competition with the provider status coalition. We actually believe that the, the two efforts are, in many ways, complementary, and that there are, um, there is, it, it is important that medically underserved patients, uh, Medicare beneficiaries, do have access to some basic um, uh, preventative and primary care services that can be accessed in a, in a retail or community pharmacy. We just don't feel that that best serves our, our um, members, most of whom don't practice in those settings. So we, we really feel that the two um, are, are, are complementary efforts, but they're talking about different patient populations and, um, you know, medically underserved versus uh, chronically ill complex uh, patients who aren't getting to clinical goals through their medications. And we're also think we're talking about different um, practitioner populations, you know, um, the the uh, retail pharmacists and, and and community pharmacists versus the, the, the board certified uh, or board eligible um, clinical pharmacists practicing under uh, collaborative practice agreements so we believe it's different populations of patients different populations of practitioners and um, they're both trying to improve health for for uh, Americans and improve the um health for for or improve the um care delivered under the medicare uh, program but we just think um you know we're, we're we're um talking about two entirely different issues here and you know we're quite comfortable with what our pharmacy colleagues are doing with their provider status coalition and we, we really hope that they're Comfortable with what we're doing with with our CMM initiative.
0: So is this a case of where we um, celebrate um, their achievements, but focus our energies on the ways that we think can best serve ACCP members and the patients that they serve?
1: Absolutely. And you know, in, in my opinion, and you know, having worked um, on on Capitol Hill for or you know, worked uh, in Washington for um, you know over fifteen years now, I think. You know, the more people that are talking about um, patient care delivered by pharmacists, the better. And uh, you know, we, we think you know our our effort complements theirs, and and and, and theirs complements ours. And you know, the more the, the, the more people up there talking about these types of issues, the the better we're we're all going to be. So you know, we're, we're I think I think we can all coexist here, and and we're um we're quite happy with with that structure.
0: So, the next question I have is. Since the Medicare initiative was announced, what sort of progress has been made um, to this point?
1: Well, we've do, we've um, focused specifically on, on the um, committees of jurisdiction in both the House and the Senate. Um, in, in the Senate particularly, it's the Finance Committee that has jurisdiction over the Medicare program and, and Medicare payment. Over on the House side, it's energy and commerce and ways and means to split uh, jurisdiction for Medicare. Um, but and and we we've done a lot of good work with um, you know the the, uh, the the members on those committees and particularly the the health subcommittees within those committees and we've had you know almost overwhelmingly positive feedback around this initiative. Um, I don't think I, I I can honestly say I don't think I've been into any office where we've had you know pushback on the substance of our of our initiative. Um, I think most people recognise the challenges that complex chronically ill Medicare patients face with their medications. And um, I think most people recognize the value that that clinical pharmacists bring um, in delivering CMM and the importance of that as part of the overall care plan. Um, That said, we we do realize that this is a a challenging uh, economic environment. And um, because of the way Congress um, attaches a price tag to a piece of legislation, um, there will th- this is this is a challenge to to um, um, get to 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 move forward. Yeah. Ultimately, um, Congress will only uh, recognise the upfront cost of covering CMM as a service, and won't recognise any of the savings that we believe will be inevitable from keeping patients out of hospital, avoiding emergency room visits, and ultimately getting patients to their clinical goals through CMM. Um, so, you know, that that is a challenge, and you know, the, the, the main pushback we get is on the cost and and the way that um, that, that Congress um, attaches a price tag or what they call uh, the score through the um, through the Congressional Budget Office or CBO, which is the the um, kind of independent body that attaches a price tag to any proposed piece of legislation. Um, that said. Um, we, we, we have seen some important steps forward, both with um, um, the Medicare um, Access and, and or, or the, the MACRA uh, bill that changed um, that changed the way that physicians are paid and um, provided some incentives to uh, physicians to get involved in more team-based uh, approaches to care and to um, move move physician payment to um, a, a more value and outcomes um based approach rather than um just simply the, the fee for service approach and we, we saw that pass and is now being being implemented and and, and should move forward in the next congress or the you know the next year now it's in the regulatory process um, so we've seen some some important and, and encouraging um um developments both you know related specifically related to to our um to our initiative and secondly to um you know the overall direction that Medicare payment is moving. Um, importantly, we've been working with um, with, with two members, uh, two two leading members of, of of the Energy and Commerce Committee on the House side, uh, Congressman Eric Paulson from Minnesota and Congressman uh, Peter Welch from Vermont. And they they released uh, or they introduced what they called the Better Better Care Lower Cost Act, um, that aimed at improving care for chronically ill Medicare beneficiaries and and we we endorsed that in the previous congress and when when they in, introduced it earlier this year they reached out to us and asked for our endorsement again and we were delighted to uh, to endorse that bill and we also worked with their office to um, to facilitate a hill briefing where we um, brought in a physician and pharmacist teams from both both of their home states from Minnesota and Vermont and we showcased and 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 and, and used that platform to um, to to describe and illustrate um, the process of care that our members deliver as part of healthcare teams. And that was a very successful event on Capitol Hill. And we continue to work with, with the, both of those offices. And fortunately, uh, they were both reelected in November, and we look forward to working with them in Um, in 2017 when the new Congress comes into town. So um, we've seen some very important developments there, particularly with those two members of Congress. And then over on the Senate side, there's a a chronic care working group that's um, kind of been tasked with um, gathering information from all kinds of stakeholders um, on ways to improve care for chronically ill patients. And we we contributed to that um, chronic care work group. And obviously, we Uh, recommended the inclusion of CMM as a a patient care service as part of the process of of improving uh, care for chronically ill Medicare beneficiaries. And interestingly, um, perhaps, you know, for for the first time, uh, we also saw a number of other um, organizations recommend coverage for CMM. It wasn't just ACCP this time around, but a number of pharmaceutical companies and other Healthcare stakeholders did call for CMM coverage as part of that process, So we were really encouraged to see that, because you know now it's not just ACCP that's talking about this, but um, you know other other important um, players on Capitol Hill in, in in the in the healthcare community are also advocating for CMM, and we're really encouraged by that. And I I would just say that um, we, we we work with our, our partner organisation on this issue, um, and so. We, we have a partnership with the College for Psychiatric and Neurologic Pharmacists (CPNP), and we've been partnering with them since the launch of this initiative. And they've been they've been a great supporter of, of ours, and we uh, and obviously ours of them. And um, you know we work hand in hand to move this issue forward. So um, you know both between ACCP and CPNP working collaboratively, and then a number of these other you know pharmaceutical companies, um, pharma, who are the uh, pharmaceutical research and manufacturers of America, that's the lobbying group. On behalf of the pharmaceutical industry, um, the biotechnology um, industry organisation, and you know, a number of you know very very high profile organisations did call for um, coverage for CMM, and we, we were really happy to see that. So you know, we've seen some very encouraging um, developments um, over the past congress, and you know, we're looking forward to building on that next year.
0: Do you think that it will be more challenging um, in the new congress? given the fact that healthcare, um, whatever is going to replace the Affordable Care Act, um, the changes um, suggested to Medicare and Medicaid, um, whether those happen or not, I'm sure that there are are lots of voices um, and lots of different stakeholders. Do you think that that will be more of a challenge to to make sure that our Medicare initiative doesn't get drowned out? Or do you think that that will be a good thing? Because now we have all these other voices also coming in and saying CMM is, is really valuable, we need to be talking about it more.
1: And um, challenges and opportunities, I think, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um it's, it's going to be a frantic scramble. And um, what with the repeal of the, the anticipated repeal of the Affordable Care Act, and then um, the process of, of replacing it and that whole kind of reorganization and restructuring um, particularly of the Medicare program that we we anticipate. Um, that said, it's, there's going to be a, a vast amount of of legislation or, or legislative action on you know s- focused on healthcare, and we really see that as an opportunity. You know, we never anticipated that our um, initiative was going to you know get an up and down vote on the House or Senate floor. All of these things move forward as a much bigger package or what we call a legislative vehicle. And we think that there's a lot of opportunities there, um, you know, with this massive shakeup of of healthcare that we that we, that, that we anticipate in the new Congress. That we think that's a great opportunity to to kind of move things forward. And remember, you know, since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, it was it was kind of hard to um, get people focused on on um, you know healthcare issues because you know they put so much effort into that massive piece of legislation. And there was there was obviously a great reluctance to do anything that would kind of destabilise that process. Um, so you know there the, there weren't a lot of uh, subsequent opportunities to to get our uh, initiative moving forward. We think with this um, with this shake-up and with this repeal um, and replace process, you know we, we think that um, there's going to be enough healthcare legislation moving forward that will find an opportunity to perhaps include ours as part of that much bigger process. Um, Secondly, you know, I think uh, all, of, all of the rhetoric, at least that we're hearing coming from the Republican side, is of, of the importance of, of modernising Medicare and making it look like some of the uh, best practices that we're seeing in the private sector. And you know, we, we can very credibly point to the fact that you know, in, in, in very highly regarded in integrated care systems like the like the, um, the Kaiser networks and like at the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic. That's exactly the type of work that clinical pharmacists are doing as part of healthcare teams. And, you know, we, we have a very strong message to say that if you want to make Medicare look like some of these um, gold standard private sector models, that's exactly how you need to incorporate clinical pharmacists and cover CMM um, in order to in, in, in order to, to, to uh, get those health outcomes that, that you want to achieve. Um, secondly, as, as, as we're moving from a uh, you know, moving towards more towards a value and outcomes based model, there's, you're going to have have to get the medications right. And that's really, that's been our tagline for this initiative all along, getting the medications right through CMM. And, um, you know, if, if you're going to meet any of those quality metrics or get patients to clinical goals, you're going to have to get the medications right. And we believe that CMM delivered by qualified clinical pharmacists is the way to get medications right. And, you know, we believe that we have a, a very strong message there as Congress grapples with some of these very difficult um, difficult issues.
0: So finally, I was wondering, for our listeners, where can they find out more information about our Medicare initiative? And then how can they get involved if they, especially because this, it sounds like this is a really exciting time that we may be able to make more, um, even more progress, um, how can they help us do that?
1: Well, I mean, firstly, I, I just can't... St- the importance of having our members involved in this Um, you know right now we've in in our Washington office we got a three person staff and you know while I think we can be proud of the work that we do there's a limit to to what three people can do on Capitol Hill given the you know the the size and scale of of the the work that needs to be done so we really need our members to be vocal advocates for this issue and um, you know it's impossible to overstate the, the impact and the um, credibility that, that um, well-qualified um, clinical pharmacists, well-respected healthcare practitioners um, delivering really, really complex patient care services and helping patients get to where they need to be. It's impossible to overstate uh, how much credibility people uh, doing that work have on Capitol Hill. Members of Congress want and need to hear from our members about the work that they do to firstly to better understand the, the the initiative and the work of the clinical pharmacist and the value that they bring to healthcare teams, and to hear this kind of groundswell of support for this issue and, and to reinforce the fact that it's not just the professional association here in Washington talking about this, but it's it's, um, it's practitioners and clinicians and patients across the country that, that are delivering this work and and do and and, and, and taking care of patients. Um, and 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 um, adding value to the healthcare team, they need to hear from from our members. So I'll firstly point you to our, our Medicare Initiative homepage that you can click to right under the Government Affairs tab uh, on, on on the ACCP website. It, it lists basically everything that we have from our our um, talking points and and message documents that we that we use on Capitol Hill and some data that we've gathered. Um, that demonstrates the potential cost savings that we can uh, point to from covering CMM as, as, as a medical benefit under Medicare. And, um, you know, scrolling down all, all of the comments documents that we've submitted to various um, um, congressional committees, to government agencies, um, and, and and so on and so forth, letters that we've written um, in support of this. So all, all of our um, all, all of the work that we've done over the past few years around this is, is housed on our Medicare Initiative homepage, and I hope you'll take the time to um, to visit that. You can a- also on on the uh, the Government Affairs uh, tab you can see our our Legislative Actions Center, which is a, a, a software tool that we have that allows our members to uh, directly write to their members of Congress just through a few clicks. You, you um, enter your zip code and all. Um, will link you directly to your member of Congress, and then we have a, a pre-populated letter that we have, that we've written, uh, um, urging mem- you know, urging Congress to consider um, coverage for CMM as as a, as a Medicare benefit, and um, and and vocalizing your support for that as as, as an initiative. Um, obviously, we, you know, we, we've pre-populated it, we've pre-written the letter, kind of for your convenience, but you know, its its impact and its emphasis will be will be uh, heightened by um, personalizing it and you know taking some time to describe your practice and the patients that you care for and the work that you do as part of the team uh, and, and the value that you bring to the team. So you know while, while we do have a template there, we'd hope that you would take some time to kind of personalize it and describe exactly what it is that you do. Um, we also encourage you to, um, take, to to try and organize a site visit um, for, for a member of Congress to come and visit your practice site and see firsthand, Exactly what it is that you do as part of the healthcare team, how you work collaboratively within your institution or your clinic or your practice setting, and um, host a member of Congress to, to visit your practice site and and learn more about the work that you do. And we have detailed instructions as to how to involve how, how to get that process initiated. But you know we're happy you know we're delighted here in the Washington office to do what we can to help facilitate that process. So you can always contact um, me or my colleague Sam or uh, Sam, Sam Johnson or, or Ed Webb here in the Washington office to uh, to learn more about that and help move that forward. Um, so we really encourage you to um, to consider that that um, the, the invitation to, to a practice site visit, which I think is probably the most impactful activity any member can take to really help members of Congress understand the work you do, help them, help them understand the value that you bring, and um, show them the importance of covering CMM as a, as a benefit under Medicare.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us um, on our podcast. So um, I think that that about wraps it up for um, our discussion about the Medicare initiative, although I'm sure that we will um, be checking in with you again over the next um, six months to a year as things change, and we'll want another update. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, it's, it's my pleasure, Emma. Thank you so much for for uh, organising this today. And once again, I would just emphasise that you know um, health policy and 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 um, CMM really is our passion here in the Washington office. It's what we're really focused on, and it's what we love to talk about. So I encourage anyone who's got any questions or thoughts or ideas to um, to, to not hesitate to get in touch with me because you know it's, it's it's what I love to do. It's what I love to talk about, and i I'd be delighted to, um, to to discuss any of this uh, in more detail.
0: Thanks again. Thank you for listening to another ACCP podcast episode. Our theme music is called Rocket Power and is licensed by Creative Commons. Please take a moment to recommend this podcast and subscribe via iTunes so that you'll get notified of when our next episode will be released.